Welcome to Uncontained, episode 70. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, I have a director and author. His name's Bill Albert. Um, he's out of Iowa City, Iowa, and works with the PA TV uh, Channel 13 station there. He has some great advice for filmmakers getting started involving public access television coming up for you in this episode, along with how he balances his film creation with his book creation. Yes, uh, the two totally different, uh, they're two totally different arts to him, and one always interferes with the other so he has to find a way to balance it out we get into that conversation along with along with his dislike for uh zombies i know i know it hurt me but he does have a very funny short on zombies called it's not easy being a zombie and we'll talk about that in this episode as well if you are enjoying this show please help spread the word about it by uh getting to your favorite podcast player whether it be itunes stitcher TuneIn radio or google play um we're, we're all those places there. Yes, you can find Uncontained there. So please leave a rating, a review, and uh, subscribe to the channel as well, along with sharing with somebody else. That is huge in helping this show go. And uh, I'll be having some more ways for you to help out as well if you want to help out financially. I'm working on, on getting a Patreon page set up here, and we'll be ready for ready for business before too long. Also... If you have any Amazon shopping, as you know, I've mentioned it a few times. Uh, there are the Amazon banners at the top of the page of my website, uncontainedpod.com. You can also follow me and keep up with the show on social media, including Twitter, Facebook, and uh, yeah, even Instagram. I have some photos up there. So, And it's all at uncontainedpod.com so search it find it google it get there however you can i don't want to keep you waiting any longer now so here is director and author bill albert how are you doing today bill i'm fine how are you doing great thank you for coming on the show sure I'm actually trying out new recording software today, so for the listeners, it's been a process getting to this point where we're actually talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, please let me know how it sounds. I'm using uh, Zencaster right now, and and Bill, you have been very patient. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I've, uh, having done a lot of this, you know, a lot of the film work and stuff on my own, I, I'm I'm familiar with technical issues coming up at the last minute. Yes. Uh, it's something that haunts you every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as as a film producer and director, um what is one of the biggest glitches you've had to overcome? Well, I I think it's scheduling is always a big hassle. It is not an easy thing to get scheduled, especially when you're doing it like I am where you go by volunteers. Um, getting people to show up when they're supposed to show up is always a challenge. I try and be patient. I know that they're volunteering. I know sometimes things go wrong, but there's sometimes it'll be, oh, I'm sorry, I fell asleep and completely forgot we've been planning on filming for a month. Uh, <laughs> that's Yeah, that, that is a big, big problem is scheduling. And yes, people I, who say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then later on, 
will drop out or for some reason suddenly don't realize, oh, you mean I have to actually come and work with this for a while? Yeah. <laughs> yeah some yeah, strange okay. people who want to be actors don't actually want to spend the time acting, and I, I've never understood that. They just want to go to the part where they're getting paid. Yeah, yeah. They want to <laughs> they want to go to that famous part, but don't want to actually put in the work to get themselves established or get their you know get them around. There was one production I did. It it only had nine characters in it, and I went through fifteen different actors. Because there were people who would volunteer and do that. And I'd say, okay, you need to come to Iowa City on this date and we'll do this. I say, uh, well, what do you mean I have to actually go to Iowa City? Yeah, because that's where we're working. <laughs> and the reason why I only had nine characters is because on one day, one actress didn't show up. So I wrote out her character. For, it was Luckily, it was just one <laughs> small scene. She just had a small role. We waited. She was a half hour. She wasn't answering her phone. So I just said, okay, I took some of her dialogue, gave it to the other characters, and that was it. Okay, fair enough. So you said you had 15 actors for nine characters. When you started reshooting another actor, did you have to reshoot all their stuff? Or... Yeah, that's luckily that part's only happened a few times, but there was one actress for uh, one I did called In the Shadows of November. She shot one scene and then started having emotional issues and couldn't come back. So we we had to go back, uh, recast, reshoot, uh, you know, and you got to put up with it. You, that's one of the things that. It's hard, but you have to, when you start, if once you start, you're going to have to go through the whole thing. You're going to have to just keep going. It took us, it was 375 days from first shot to last shot on that project. Oh, just wow. Getting, yeah, just keeping people organized. Yeah, that probably has to be a pretty big challenge there, too, especially yeah. when you said you work mainly on a volunteer basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you get people who just, I don't know what their thinking is, but they decide, well, maybe I don't want to volunteer for this after all. Once they find out how much they've got to actually do, you know, you know, it's like they just want to come in and be famous and be actors, but they don't want to actually act. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's kind of a main part of the profession acting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> so you've actually worked with that. Uh, at least one of uh, one of my past guests here on Uncontained, uh, Lynn Corinne. She was a guest on episode thirty. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the movie that you worked on her with, and any stories? I did two with her. Um, they both went really well. We managed to do them both in one day because one of them was one of them was just a fun little piece that I wrote called "One Good Performance." It was. A real tongue-in-cheek, uh, and that was the whole goal of it. It was a kind of a fun little story of make a wish and see what happens. And this is sometimes you have to pay for it. And so she came to Iowa City with two other actors. We were able to shoot that. And then there was one, a real short piece that was mostly her doing the narration. Okay. And, and a lot of other footage of her sitting around the Ped Mall in Iowa City. It's called The Girl in the Green Army Jacket, which was really a, probably the most personal piece I've ever done 
because it, it's based on a real life event, something okay. that happened well over 30 years ago now. And I just remember this was way back. It would have been about 1984 or 85. I was at the Ped Mall in Iowa City, and it was a really gray, miserable day. And I saw this woman sitting there in this green army jacket. And I don't know what it is about that moment, but I remember everything about it in incredible detail. I remember hmm. how she sat, how she looked, what she was wearing. I remember everything about her. And after years and years, I just finally said, I've got to put this on film. You know, and I just remember, it's just what I guessed she was thinking, what she might have been going through. But okay. Lynn came in and she sat there for a while and she came and did some great narration for it. I watched that before I interviewed uh, Lynn. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she's sitting in the ped mall looking like she's thinking. Yeah. And so what was your direction on that? Were you like, just sit there and look like you're lost in thought? Yeah, mo most of it was, you know, when we were sitting there and I'd remind her several times of what the narration was. This is what she was. This is what I assumed that that woman was thinking. This is how she, she would look. So the rest of that I gave to Lynn. And Lynn was able to go through that and give me the f expressions I needed. And she picked up on that character really good. Okay, perfect, perfect. So um, you said that happened about 30 years ago, or at yeah. least the original lady in the army jacket, in the green army jacket. Uh, when did you get into film? Were you making films back then? No, or? I started making films about six years ago at PATV. Okay. I had a, a friend who was working on one there and he wanted me to help him out so i did a small role in his production and found out then about well if you volunteer here and you learn through all this stuff and get certified for all this stuff you can get state-of-the-art equipment you know access to stuff there's no other way i could get to use okay. so i started doing my own and putting stuff together and it's kind of grown quite a bit since then Okay, cool, cool. So that's uh, that's how you got involved mm -hmm. with uh, yeah. the public access uh, television channel in Iowa City yeah. and are able to make these films. That's actually a really cool uh, thing because, you know, a lot of people out there wanting to make film might not know how to get their hands on the equipment. Yeah. And that's and I'm, like so for us, it's great because the, the only agreement you have to make with them is that they can broadcast it. And with that, okay. you get access to, you know, they'll give you classes, give you any kind of help, any kind of training you need to know. And uh, if they can broadcast it, you can use all their equipment. Uh, green Screen Studio, which helped us a lot. Okay. And which uh, which film did you use at Green Screen Studio? There's one the that I, one of the first ones I did called Secret Fortunes, which is, it's a fantasy story. Um, and I wanted this actress to put her, she plays a character who travels the world. So I wanted to be able to put her in unusual situations. It's a fantasy sort and sorcery type piece. And there was just no other way to, to get that. But we were able with the green screen, we've got her in, in some strange forest that I found someplace going into combat with a flame sword. Uh, we put her on top of a mountain. Okay. And it really gave us a lot of opportunity. And, and strangely enough, I found out 
that it's actually easier to put somebody on top of an alien mountain than it is to shoot at night in your own um, parking lot. That's for one <laughs> different production. Yeah, it's. I thought shooting at night was going to be easy with all this technology, but oh, that's, that was a nasty little surprise. What was what was the big challenge about shooting at night? Well, the problem you have is that at at night the cameras always read darkness as blue so there's distortion from that that you've got to try and you have to make sure you cut back on any direct sunlight or any direct shadows you have to try and make everything as gray as you possibly can and usually the only way to do that is to add a great deal of light to the darkness so it's a whole ba whole bizarre balance of things so it's it's easier to just do green screen than it is to go out and at night. Okay, so do you find yourself doing that more than oh we could do an outside shoot or I like the green screen or is there a certain benefit like that you know can you capture the same thing or do you need to be outside to get some shots? A lot of the stuff lately I've been trying to do with locations and do outside. I haven't done as much green screen stuff lately. It's just the way the ideas come. Um, so for a while, I haven't had anything that needed a green screen. The one that I just finished shooting yesterday, it all takes place outside. So we went out in Iowa City. There's right next to PATV, there's this railroad bridge, and we shot around that. And there, I was looking for something that looks like a war zone. So we okay. were able to go out and do that. And a lot of the other stuff, it's been uh, one, we were able to get a room at the library and we shot at the public library. So lately, lately, I haven't had much come for green screen, but it's, it's just the way the ideas go. Uh, sometimes the ideas okay. say, go here and I would use a green screen, but lately it hasn't been. All right, so you were looking for a war zone in Iowa City. I've been to Iowa City and lived there for a while. There's not too many areas that look like war zones in Iowa City. Yeah. Uh, was that, is it hard to find locations yeah, around there? Yeah, it was a lot harder than I thought. I had hoped for some sort of maybe building being torn down uh, or some even possibly a railroad area, but they were – weren't too easy to come by and then the problem is it's running into permission from people that was the yeah. other thing uh, there was one place that i wanted to do the railroad area they had some tracks and stuff that's kind of left out there by itself for a while but i couldn't get in it was all fenced in and i could never find out who actually owned this who i even needed to talk to okay so getting right. locations is is another issue you're going to run up against Finally, it was just, well, here's this bridge, and we just went underneath there, make sure, uh, you know, get in and out, try and be as quiet as possible. Yeah, and <laughs> so you, you ended you, up just shooting kind of guerrilla style. Like, yeah, yeah really, that, that ended up being a big part of it was, how's this going to, you know, and because we had, in the one we did yesterday, we had a fight scene. So basically, we rehearsed it in the parking lot of PATV. Then we went down about a block to this area where they had a bunch of construction equipment sitting there and, and these storage lockers and everything that looked kind of abandoned. So, okay, okay. we rehearse it one place. We go over, we shoot it three times, and then head back and get out of there. Yeah, the other thing you need to do when you're going to do stuff like that is make sure you let the local police department know. 
Yeah, there was one time we had uh, Johnson County Sheriff's deputy show up. We were doing a fight scene in a parking lot, and somebody driving by saw it and called 911. That was oh. a little embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. 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 He suddenly comes around the corner, and then I looked at Sarah, who had the gun at the time, and I said, well... If anybody's going down for this, it's going to be me. So, so I grabbed the gun from her, you know, put it down on the ground. And said, but luckily the guy was cool. He, I mean, he's, you'd think considering you've got these 10 foot letters that say PATV would have been a clear sign. Something was going on. And me standing there with a camera, apparently that got missed. But, yeah. So luckily the officer was, okay, are you guys doing a fight scene? Yeah. All right. No problem. <laughs> so so I made sure with this one I had I had four characters in full army fatigues and a fight scene. So I, I went up to Iowa City PD yesterday morning and said, We're gonna be there. <laughs> just no problem. <laughs> just Yeah, definitely. You don't mm, want them showing up guns yeah. drawn and all that stuff. One of the other producers of PATV had the Cedar Rapids SWAT team come to one of his shoots. So he was doing, yeah, he was doing like a gangster scene and had almost like a gangster war, about six people out there with fake guns and suddenly uh, the sirens and it was uh, Cedar Rapids SWAT showed up. (laughs) Whoa. And they were not using fake guns when they came out of their vans. No, no, that's that that's got to be intense to say the least. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But make sure that's the best advice I guess I could give people. If you're going to do a fight scene in public, make sure you let the police know. Yeah, definitely good advice. Uh, I was when I first moved out here to California a couple years afterwards, I was like working on uh, it. Didn't I don't think it ever actually came out. But for a while, it was like a Halloween fan fiction uh-huh. type movie. Yeah. And I was playing Michael Myers. Oh, and wow. yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know, I got to got to stab a few people. It was kind of fun, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do remember like the cops coming one time or having uh-huh. to call the cops to let them know. And you know, yeah. I was there in a Michael Meyer mask with a knife, and Ooh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could have been what the could next. Possibly go wrong. <laughs> exactly, you know. <laughs> The risks it takes to play the bad guy, I guess. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> so, so let's talk about your film a little bit more here. Your uh, new one is called The Other Side. Yeah. What is this? Uh, what is this about? Obviously, it's set during wartime. Yeah, and it it just it involves two soldiers who meet face to face, and it's really the first time in the field of combat they've met the enemy, and they don't realize it at first. It's two soldiers. They're separated. They're lost from their squads. They're both running for cover. They're both being chased, and they end up in the same place. So there's a moment before they realize, wait a minute, this is the enemy. And it's just because I, I think a lot of people find it easier to hate people they don't know. Um, and that's something yes. that's been, you know, big. And even if you look even in America, if you look back to World War Two, all the propaganda and stuff that was put out about the Japanese. And it was a lot of people who've never met the Japanese. And that's something that happens now with Donald Trump and his, well, let's ban all Muslims, but not yes. all Muslims are bad. So I dealt with what happens when they meet each other 
And they don't have that fence between them. They don't have that propaganda. They meet face to face for the first time. And as it develops, they start to, there's almost like a friendship growing there. And then finally, because of things, the way things change, they suddenly realize, wait a minute, this person is supposed to be my enemy, but I was just sitting here enjoying spending time with this person. That's not right, you know, and, and how that affects people. So do, when they realize that, hey, we're supposed to be enemies, does so that create like a big conflict? Yeah, then then there's other things that start to get involved and other people, other other soldiers get involved and is dealing with that and how they work around that. Okay. And I, I think it's, I'm really proud of it. And one of the actresses, it's one of the things I'm really excited about. One of the actresses who plays the character, she has some friends who are from Palestine who she wants to show this to when it's done. She wants to oh, know wow. how, yeah, and I, that's something I'm, I'm really excited about. I would love to see how does somebody who's actually lived that life, how would they react to this story? So I'm really looking forward to hopefully in a week or so when I've got it all finished and uploaded, she can show it to them and, and, get some feedback from people who've actually experienced this yeah that'd be that'd be really interesting to hear and uh yeah see see how they react to your film Mm -hmm. Uh, so um in this film though there's a reoccurrence in this right something that has been in other films is showing up in this film well there's several themes that i've noticed show up a lot in my stuff and it's it's basically don't judge people by how they look. Don't judge people with not knowing about them. That's something okay. that comes back a lot. A lot of the way people, you know, people make it too simple. And unfortunately, it's not too simple. There's one that I did called A Good Guy with a Gun. And it was based on the National Rifle Association and their complaint that the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But how do you know the difference? How can you tell? How do you know that person with a gun is a good person or a bad person? It's not as simple as that. Don't make those judgments without knowing something, without learning something. That's something that comes up in a lot of my work. Okay. All right. Yeah. And uh, also, um, like, I saw a post on Facebook that said that the army jacket in this movie was used in... Oh, yes, yes. The girl in the green army... Okay, I see what you mean there. Yeah, this jacket... Sorry, I was leading you without coming out and saying it. (laughs) Sorry about that. I guess I I, yeah, you lost me on that one. That's my no, no. But I'm glad I got that other stuff too. That's uh, that's really cool. So sometimes when you ask a big question, this jacket is I don't know. It's becoming my lucky jacket. Um, I've used it three times in three films that are really some of the the ones that I'm really proud of. It's it's my lucky jacket. And I, I think any of the actresses who've worn it would be surprised to find out that the jacket is a lot older than they are <laughs> because <laughs> I had it when I was in high school. So it's nearly a 40-year-old jacket. <laughs> and then wow. I don't think they realize it, but it's, it's held up really well. And I, I think start thinking I should use that in more productions because it seems to be my good luck charm. Okay, gotcha. So it's in The Other Side, The Girl in the Green Army Jacket. What's the third film? The third one is called The Burning Room. Okay. Yeah, it's another, it's a 
Chelsea Wing wears it in that one, and she does an excellent job. Taylor Elizabeth Clemens did it in this one, and Lynn in that one. So those three actresses, it's it's got a good track record. All right, all right. I was looking at your IMDb page, mm. and on IMDb it uh, shows that uh, you have a film called It's Not Easy Being a Zombie. <laughs> yeah. what, is, what is that about? I, the title just intrigues me. I haven't had a yeah. chance to look it up yet. Well, it's... Uh, I. I personally have f always felt this whole zombie thing is incredibly boring. I couldn't stand The Walking Dead. I get t so sick and tired of this zombie trend that's everywhere. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to go and make fun of it for a little bit. And it's okay. it's a very well-spoken zombie. <laughs> he talks about the difficulties of the lifestyle of being a zombie. Um, one day you just... <laughs> You know, even though you'll go through the denial stage and uh, you'll eventually have to face the fact that this is your zombie. Usually that's the first time you start to get hungry. And uh, <laughs> a, lots, a couple little uh, social and political comments on what kind of people can easily adapt to being a zombie. Uh, what kind of people have trouble being zombies. And uh, a couple of zingers, uh, certain Certain people who don't use their brain very much, like Fox News commentators, it's easy to make them a zombie. And uh, yeah. all sorts of, yeah. And uh, I even started to thought, well, I might as well go along on this one. I might as well keep going. So they talk about the different tastes of the brains, what kind of brains taste good, what tastes bad. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I, I thought, well, everybody's doing zombies. I think they're incredibly boring, so I might as well just go and make fun of them. <laughs> and, All right, fair enough. I, I am a fan of, say, The Walking Dead and some other zombie uh, movies and stuff like that. But yeah, I can appreciate I a good parody as well. Out, yeah. I can, I, I can appreciate a good parody as well. Um, so Yeah, he's, a, he's like I said, he's a very articulate zombie. <laughs> I just thought, well, I hadn't seen this done, so what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will definitely have to uh, check that out shortly after this interview. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> sure. So you do, you do films. You do mm -hmm. the writing, directing, and producing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but you also have another film. Uh, outlet for creativity it's a uh, novel writing doing novels yes i've done a series of novels that i'm very close to finishing the final of the fourth book in the series the first one is called the secrets of starpoint mountain and it's okay. a it's a fantasy sword and sorcery series um you know magic uh elves dwarves dragons that type of thing undead Creatures that live in the swamp and all sorts of that. That's something okay. that I've been very happy with. Now, that takes a completely different style of writing than film, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's not easy to switch back and forth. I'm finding that out the hard way. I can't sit down and tell a story editing film and then just immediately switch over to start writing fiction. I just, it's not, it doesn't work. I can't do both of them really intently at the same time. So for the past okay. couple of weeks, I've started to slow down a bit on the fiction writing so I can concentrate on the getting the film finished. I, it, okay. I like, I really admire people who can switch back and forth so easily, but unfortunately I just, my brain just doesn't work that way. 
what is the hardest part for you to like make the switch like is there like just one certain like is it the style is it the way of thinking yeah because you're with the films you know you can telling that story with just the pictures um we can put all the stuff in there to get that. So all that stuff that that takes time doing fiction, I have to be doing that in advance for the for the films. I have to be planning. Okay, this happens. This little detail needs to go in there. That little detail needs to go in there. But then with the fiction, it's all going in there at that moment. So I can't do as much in advance. I can't plan as much in advance with the fiction. I just have to hope it yeah. hope it works. Okay. And like another thing like uh when you were talking about your creatures and stuff like mm. that I, w- I did an interview just a couple a uh, couple episodes ago uh with four writers from the San Francisco Bay Area mm-hmm. and one of them has a fiction book about his name's Jimmy Ng about uh people with who live in trees with wings they have wings attached to them and everything and he got talking about how in his book he needs to add detail and sell the wings about yeah. uh the motion that the wings portray like you use them as your mm-hmm. armor like uh, he ruffles his feathers when he's upset and yeah. you know things like that do you find yourself having to do way more description in your writing for the novel yeah it, it yeah Mm-hmm. And I did a lot more research when I do the novel writing, which kind of can become a trap. Uh, <laughs> it took me a while to get used to that. I I would started to do the research and sometimes it didn't turn out the way I wanted. Uh, one of the characters uses a war hammer and I always imagine yeah. this big war hammer, like a big Thor thing. And so I started doing research on Warhammers and found out they weren't that spectacular. They don't look all that great. And I was really disappointed okay. in that. And I thought, well, maybe I'm going to have to find something else for this guy to carry. And then it suddenly occurred to me, well, wait a minute. I'm I'm writing this story. If I want the Warhammers to be big and bulky, damn it, they're going to be big and bulky. You know, it's it's hard to get into that. You eventually have to get into that, that, you know, this is your story. It's your world yeah. and you're creating. If you want something to be that way, that's it. That's the way it's going to be. And don't let anybody tell you, oh, you can't do that because in real life they're different. You know, this isn't real life. This is my world that I create. And it's like yeah, that with the wings. You know, it's it's his world. It's his story. If he wants it to work that way, it works that way. Do you find it hard to set different rules in your world? Or like I've heard people talk and be like, you can have anything you want in a fantasy world mm-hmm. as long as you make those rules consistent to that. Yeah. World. Yeah. That's the big thing. The consistency of it. That's another big thing. When I first started this, I spent a lot of time. This is how the religions work. This is how certain things go. With the I, they have the invisible gods that people are considered evil, that people don't worship. And I, I started to set all that stuff up, and I have to keep using that and going back to that. As long as it's consistent, I think as long as you believe it, the reader will believe it. But you just have to be consistent in how things develop. Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, you can't have uh, 
it'd be like one minute the creature can walk on the ceiling and the next minute it's impossible in that world. It has to be like consistent for... You know, you can't do that. and You at least have to come up with some sort of explanation for it. Something okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I started, I made certain rules for magic in this world. How things work. And they're kinds of color signatures that come from certain types of magic. And I have to make sure I stick with that. Okay. All right. So so what would be some examples? Well, in this case, like for the magic colors, there's a certain type of color for what kind of protection casting you have. If, you know, the stronger, they're different colors. There's a red, you know, you usually, originally any, any armor that's not cast with protection magic is just plain, you know, your brown or black armor. But then you get okay. red if it's a first level casting. Then you get blue if it goes higher up. It changes with, so you can tell in this world how much protection somebody has on their cast by the colors. Okay. So I worked on that and I make sure that I've stuck with that. And the fun part of it, I actually, and I, I think it might surprise people. I After the first like 50 pages, I never once used the word magic. It's just I, I all called it at first I called it magic casting for like the first 50 pages. And after that okay. and every book since then, I just call it casting. And I, I, I'm wondering if anybody who ever reads them will catch that, that that's not in there. That's just another thing that came up. It's kind of off the off the track, but it's, it's just a little challenge. I thought a little author thing I thought would be fun. See if I okay. can mess with people's brains a little bit. Okay, so uh, is there, just besides messing with their brains, was there like a reason you decided to do that where you're like, uh, saying magic casting gets a little redundant, or do you want it just to be like something normal for that world? Because if it's something normal, it's not necessarily magic. Yeah, part of it, part of it was it just, uh, it was more of a challenge for me to do that way too. I, I didn't want it to be like anything else. So sometimes, and I, I'm really concentrating on the specific words that use that authors use. Um, some things I think they give away a mystery, or, or sometimes they don't put in enough mystery by just how carefully they're they're choosing things. At one point in this world, they go into the swamps, and they meet what in this world people who are referred to as the others. They don't go out okay. in the sunlight. They stay in the swamps. They drink human blood, but they are just referred to as the others. They're never once called vampires. Not once do I use that word. And I, okay. I'm thinking it. it's so maybe they might not be. They do the same traits as vampires, but they by never using that word, I want people to suspect maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe they're not what people think. I guess that comes back to that, you know, not making too many judgments about the way somebody looks unless you know for sure what's going on behind them. Yeah, maybe they're just cannibals that don't like sunlight. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a whole <laughs> different, there's lots of things too. And I, as, sometimes it's what you don't say that I think is the challenge and the fun thing. Because one of the things that's yeah. always bothered me, especially in science fiction and fantasy is the way everybody has the same word for everything. In in science fiction, the planet that we the name that we give a planet always happens to be the exact same name that those people who live there give it. 
That's a big Star Trek thing. We call it Romulus, so of course they call it Romulus. And yeah. I, I just don't think that works that way. So what I had a lot of fun doing in these books is occasionally they invent things, but nobody else knows what it's called. So I don't use the word. There's one early on where they make it into the northern ice fields. Basically, they find this nice, creamy, cold substance that they have for dinner. But they don't know what it's called. So I never refer to it as ice cream. I just think that was <laughs> I thought that was more of a challenge that way. Just by not to, you know, how would they know? How did they know what it was called? They've never been there before. They've never tasted this stuff. So these two characters wouldn't know what to call it. So I don't use the name. All right. And, you know, that kind of relates to real life here, too, because, yeah. like, I was just over in Europe a month ago, and yeah. uh, I realized that we rename a lot of cities or yeah. even countries. Uh -huh. Like, we call Italia Italy. What we call Venice, it's Venezia. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like people yeah, name point. stuff that uh -huh. they can say. You know, how to, you know, it's their world. They call it what they want. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, oh, yeah, there's Munich. No, it's München. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I was like, why the hell do we rename every place? Yeah. Why can't yeah. we just call it what the hell they call it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. But I tried to use their place, the name that they called their place while I was there, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bill, what advice? do you have for people who are looking to get started out in either writing and directing or in novel writing? Well, you, you have to realize early on that once you start it and you're in it for the long haul, it's not going to be easy. It's, you have to give to it. You have to really push to get it to work. Uh, you nobody's going to come in and knock on your door and say, oh, yeah, I'm a fiction publisher. You want to come work for me? That just isn't going to happen. You have to keep <laughs> pushing it. Yeah. You know, you you have to be out there pushing it. You have to try and yes. get it noticed. And that was something that took me a while to get used to. I, I just would write it and, oh, geez, I hope somebody reads it. And I'd never do anything with it. And it was the same thing with the films, you know. I just, oh, I hope somebody watches them. And it finally got to the point where I realized that's not going to work. I have to start notifying. I have to start pushing this. I have to start putting the films in festivals. I have to start. Okay. Uh, so I got, like, I there's plenty of places you can get postcards made up. So I I've been taking them to conventions that I've gone to and book fairs. I'll take along postcards with the covers of the books and say, here, you know, this is what I'm doing. I have to go up and tell people. And that was really hard. I'm basically a shy person and don't like being the center of attention. But it's to realize, well, nobody's ever going to read my book if I don't take the time to tell them about it. Nobody's going to yeah. watch. Yeah, nobody's going to watch my movie if I don't make sure they get links. And <laughs> And that's one of the good things with at least the internet because it is easy to do and it's inexpensive sending emails. Hey, this is what I do. This is what I've written. This some, you know, nine times out of 10 or maybe even more than that. I know chances are the person's just going to delete it or jump it, but all you need is that one person to say, Hey, okay, I'll take a look at this. And if they like it, it could change everything. 
Yes, yes. And that brings me actually to my next question, which you've already answered some of. But if you have anything else you want to throw in there, uh, that'd be that'd be amazing. Uh, what do you do to promote yourself? We know you got the film festivals, you got mm -hmm. the flyers, you got the sending links. Is there anything else you do specifically to promote? Mostly it's the festivals and to just keep going and keep going. Put the card somewhere. I've... And I even finally got to the point where I started just plain letter writing to people um, and big names, people, uh, big Hollywood okay. names. I've been sending them letters and I realized, OK, most of this is probably going to get jumped in the garbage. But what's it going to cost me? It cost me the price of a stamp. And, yeah, you know, and I've sent I tell you, George Clooney's people are so nice. Really? <laughs> I've sent letters to him <laughs> and his people, when they reject you, are so polite. You can't. <laughs> like, God, they're so thank you very much for contacting us. We appreciate what you're doing. We can't take any information. You know, we can't take any info. We can't take any unsolicited manuscripts. We can't do that. But we really wish you the best of luck. It's like, gosh, they're friendly. And then you get Ron Howard's people <laughs> who are really mean. <laughs> they are really? Oh, they they do not like you getting a hold of them. But like I said, it it's all it takes is the one person who sees it and somehow it'll slip through. And there was one actually it was getting back to Girl in the Green Army jacket. I submitted it to a California Film Festival. I found out that it had been accepted into the semifinalists. And the next day I got a tweet from Tom Sizemore. Now he was in really? Saving Private Ryan. Yes, he was the Tom Hanks's uh, CO in Saving Private Ryan. He's been in 94 films. He got It got his attention. He sent me a tweet telling me that there's this film place. He said, they really should see what you do. So I sent okay. some links to them. Apparently, they turned out not to be interested. I never heard anything back. <laughs> but the fact is, you know, it got somebody's attention. And if I can get one person's attention, I can get another person's attention. So it's yeah. just keep sending out information. Um, it feels silly. You're like I said, you're probably it's probably going to end up being in the garbage. But nobody will ever hear about you if you don't. Exactly. Exactly. You got to keep keep going at it. Keep keep blasting people with uh, your information, and uh, it is very gratifying when, say, somebody like uh, Tom Sizemore recognizes what you do. Yeah, you know, I figured, okay, I got this person's attention, so if I keep at it, I can try getting another person's attention. Just go for it. It's, you know, it's like I said, it was the well, what's going to happen if I don't? Nothing. You're going to end up, no, you, you won't end up any different. The benefits from trying are beyond imagination. And if you yes. let it go and let it stop, you might as well forget it because nobody's ever going to watch your work. Nobody's ever going to read your books. It's up to you to make sure they get pushed. Yes, definitely. Did you ever go back and like, did you tweet uh, Tom Sizemore back? Yeah. After they didn't respond to you? Oh, afterwards? No, uh -uh. I forwarded to the people, you know, that he had recommended. Um, I waited and waited, but never did get anything. I, I figured, okay, it, it gets to the point where if they wanted, they would have gotten a hold of me by now. 
And it was yeah, only, I guess and I wasn't thing. sure what else to say, you know. I didn't want to say, why don't you like my stuff? You know, I thought, <laughs> you know, I just, I had that chance. I forwarded it to them. I took it. At least I took the chance. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking like maybe like if it was me, I might have been like, well, maybe they'll listen to Tom Sizemore. I'd be like, hey, Tom, I sent it. I didn't get anything back. Well, I did in that case. I did just forward the tweet that he sent me to them, so they it okay. had his uh, name on it. <laughs> yeah. All right, perfect. So, uh, in addition to Tom Sizemore recognizing your work for a girl in the green army jacket. What would be a highlight of uh, of your work of of your career? Not necessarily the highlight, but a highlight. Though there are times that the festivals that have picked up my stuff, it's it's very exciting. Um, some of the stuff has been picked up. There was a film festival in the UK that showed one of my films. There's a film festival in Los Angeles that showed my stuff. And, and that feels really exciting to think that there's somebody out there watching my stuff, you know, and as somebody who's been seeing movies my whole life and always loved seeing movies, just the fact that somebody's out there who I've never heard of will probably never know, but they're sitting down and watching my stuff and thinking, Hey, this is good enough to put in a festival. Let's show this to more people. That's, that's really a very exciting thing. And there are times when I try and recruit actors at um, the University of Iowa, because I'm a graduate of University of Iowa Theater. So I've gone back there a lot to recruit actors. And every okay. once in a while, every once in a while, somebody will come up and I'll ask them and tell them and they'll go, oh, yeah, I've seen your stuff. And that's a real bizarre, <laughs> you know, it's it's a really bizarre feeling that wow, these people are watching my stuff. This is pretty nice. <laughs> I think those are the times that I felt really good. You know, it's just, it's, and it's nothing fancy. It's just, yeah, I've seen your stuff. Yeah. That's a pretty good feeling. There was one that I did a documentary on university theaters that it's, of all the films I've done, if it's, if somebody just sees one film I do, I want it to be that one. It's it's called More Than a Performance, an Iowa production of Good Kids. And it's one of those things that everything just went right. I it's it's just like I said, if if people ask me, well, what one thing, what should I watch first? I say, go watch that one. It's not a drama. It isn't a narrative. I didn't have any rehearsal or anything. I just was able to sit down and talk to these actors putting this amazing play together. And I just, it won at the uh, International Performing Arts Film Festival in, in Indonesia. It was given a gold award. So that's, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's like I say, it's just one of those things that everything worked. Everything went right. So I'm really proud of that. That's the thing I always want people to see. All right. Um, they gave me, uh, it was amazing. They gave me full access behind the scenes for this play for 10 weeks. And it just, like I said, I'm just so thrilled with the way it worked. And I've understood that a lot of times at university theaters, for new students, when new people come in and wanting to get into the acting discipline, they've been told, go watch this, watch this documentary. And I find that amazingly thrilling to think that it's teaching other people. 
Yeah, yeah. That even the playwright, I'm told, has been occasionally told people when they buy the rights to do the play from her, she's been telling them, "Go look at this." So it's it, it's like I said, it's just of all the stuff I've done, I want people to see that. All right. Well, I'll have to. Uh, is it is it linkable? Is yep. It's it's on Vimeo and YouTube. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I'll try to find a link to it and put that in the show notes. Okay, great. Uh, so people people can check it out, see your work. It's the most watched film I've ever done, and I, I'm very proud of of that one. All right. I'll have to watch that along with It's Not Easy Being a Zombie, because I <laughs> yeah. kind of want to see that parody as <laughs> yeah. well. So we mentioned earlier that you have a current theme going through your films. Mm. Um, not talking about the green jacket this time, okay. but, uh, <laughs> okay. the not, the not judging people, uh, um, by the way they look thing. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of goes with one of my questions and it may simply be the answer, but if you could lab elaborate on it, that would mm. be, that'd be perfect. What do you want people to take away from your work when they see one of your films? That really from the films and books too, something that comes up a lot is how just one person can make a difference. Every single person is important. Every single person can go out and change the world. That's just, sometimes it's just by taking a stand. Sometimes it it's just by asking the right questions. You can, you can change the world. That's how a lot of great things happen. Somebody just starts asking the right questions. And it okay. spreads from there. And every single person has get involved. Sometimes stand up and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Or why are people doing this? Why do people act that way? I've written four novels now. And the whole theme is one person, just by taking a stand at the right time, can change the world. Awesome. Awesome. So, so basically... Learn to ask the right questions, yeah. uh -huh. and one person isn't too small. Mm -hmm. And keep asking them. Yeah, and make sure you they give you an answer. <laughs> make sure you get an answer. All right. Yeah, and sometimes you can you know you can convince people to join your side too. A lot of times, just by saying, "Well, why does this happen? Why does this have to be that way?" Because it's a status quo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But that does, that's what people think. But it doesn't mean it's going <laughs> to stay that way. Just just one yeah. person can change the world. All right. Thank you. I have sure. one more question for yeah, you, sure. Bill, before before I let you go. But first, uh, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, social media and all that. Yeah, I'm on Facebook as Bill Albert Author. There's also I've set up a website for the book series at, at starpointmountain.com. Okay. The books are available on Kindle, and then at Vimeo is where you can find most of my stuff. And Vimeo? If you do a search on, yeah, do a search on Vimeo for my name, and that can give you links, and then they'll all have other links to get a hold of me directly. Thank you. And I do have one final question for mm -hmm. you, and it is the title question of the show, Bill. Okay. Bill Albert? How do you live uncontained? Oh, gosh, that sounded so easy when we first started. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's... it's... Okay. Take your time. Take your time. How do I live uncontained? I go out and I just want to do my own thing. I mean, that's really the biggest thing is not being afraid to 
to not be normal. I guess that's what one of the things that I found a lot is I am definitely not normal. I see so many, <laughs> you know, in this area where I grew up, there's so many sports fans. It's everybody around here assumes you're a sports fan. And I've never been interested in sports. It's never once thrilled me. So basically, don't be afraid not to be normal. Or no, I, I take that back. Don't be afraid to not be normal. There you go. There you go. Yes. There, yes. there. That's don't the be, best way to put it. Don't be afraid to not be normal. I like that. But you don't like zombies and you don't like sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I like Doctor Who. Hey, I've been a Doctor Who fan for 40 years. Uh, <laughs> it's, that's if that's not odd. <laughs> that's not normal. <laughs> I mean, I remember watching Doctor Who when nobody heard about it but me. You know, <laughs> I do remember my dad was watching Doctor Who when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and there I remember it was the old Doctor, and uh, the, the special effects weren't very good. Oh, it was yeah. basically a rock that got up and walked <laughs> and, and like, sat back down, <laughs> yeah. and I was uh -huh. like, Dad, what are you watching? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it took a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm lucky because I started watching it in 1974, and that was state of the art in 1974. <laughs> so it, it that, wasn't quite a shock to me as it is to a lot of people today. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And nowadays, the special effects on it have definitely caught up. Oh, yeah. I watched some of the new episodes of Doctor mm, Who. Yeah, uh -huh. um, but and, I think uh, in it's it. One of the arguments I always use about why the show is so good is because. Of, that money went to talent. It went to writing, acting, and directing. Uh, sure, the stuff, the sets look cardboard, but there are episodes from the original series that I would put up against anything the new show has to offer any day of the week. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair it's, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's how TV should be made. I think that's All the best right. way to put All it. All right, man. That, so, yeah, I guess a lot of times nowadays, people rely on special effects mm -hmm. and yeah. uh -huh. this show, this show, Bill, you'll be happy to know doesn't have any special effects. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I spent, I spent all of my $0 budget on talent. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the way I make my movies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for joining me today and uh, helping me uh, test out this uh, new sure. recording program. Yeah. And, I hope, it, uh, uh, hope everything goes well. I hope it all turns out okay. Same here. And I have one final thing for you to do, Bill. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show? I sure will. I'm Bill Albert, and I live uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thanks again to Bill Albert for coming on the show today and uh, sharing with how he lives uncontained and talking about his projects that he has going on. So make sure you check out all the Bill's uh, links that I have in the show notes. You can check out his work on Vimeo. I have a couple links to a few of his shorts there, including his work that he's most proud of, 
called More Than a Performance, an Iowa production of Good Kids. That link is there, along with his It's Not Easy Being a Zombie film. You can uh, get into some of his other work there as well. Also, in the show notes, I have a link to his fictional series called Star Point Mountain, and uh, that's at starpointmountain.com. So check him out and make sure you share his work along with this episode. And uh, please stop by your favorite pod player, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks again, and until next time, live uncontained.